nations will rise and fall. The world will feel like it's crumbling around us. There will be times where we feel unable to carry on. Our most trusted people will hurt us. But God is still in control. God is still good. God is still providing. God is still faithful. Our God has been, is, and will be the greatest strength in our lives. We can be still because God still is. Uh, good morning, Riverview. Is that like your full name? Like, should, is it kind of awkward for me to call you by that? And it's really Riv, like I should say, good morning, Riv. So like my name's Ronald fully, but if you call me that, it'd be like, oh, you don't really know. Like I, I go by Ronnie, that's me. Is that, is that kind of how it works here? Or what, what, like seriously, is, it, is Riv more of the natural kind of way to, to address you? Okay, good morning, Riv. Excited to, to be here. Hey, uh, like I said, my name's Ronnie Goble. Um, I think there's a picture of my family and I that might be able to come up on the screen. So this is my wife, Caitlin, and then we have a five-year-old Jackson and a three-year-old Hayes. That was that picture. We need a new family pic. That was like a year and a half, maybe two years ago. But Jackson's five now. Hayes is three. Um, we are, uh, or I am, a church planting resident down at a church in Lincoln Park, Michigan called Resurrection Church. Part of the same kind of church planting. Did, did I get a, a Lincoln Park fist bump right there? Okay. Hey, yes. Um, originally from, from uh, Plymouth, the Plymouth Canton area, and, uh, but serving at Resurrection right now, and, and Lord willing, the hope is in 2024 that Resurrection would help plant a new church somewhere in the Detroit area, and you, Riv, are supporting us in that. So if you didn't know that, thank you. <laughs> I'm, here, I'm here, and you've been supporting us. So really uh, appreciate you guys. Excited to, to be here with you this morning. We're in Daniel chapter 6. If you haven't turned there already, you can open your Bibles and, and go there. So I told you, uh, wife's name is Caitlin. We actually started dating at the end of high school and then went to college at a school in Ohio, the Bowling Green State University. <laughs> yes. Which, uh, oddly enough, the kind of the same movement in like the 70s, I think, from like the, G- the Jesus movement, all these hippies that, that met Christ started all these churches around the country. Riverview was one of those, and so was the church that God saved me in as a college student. It was called H2O Church down there in, in Bowling Green, Ohio. Yep, met Jesus as a uh, freshman in college there. He turned my life around. I started following him. But before I met Jesus, I met this really crazy man named Aaron Hillman. Okay, Aaron Hillman was the uh, the strength and conditioning coach for our football team. I played football at BG, and he was he had like the voice of a weasel, but the the body of like a like an ox or something. So it was just like it really kind of didn't fit together. And it's just like man, I, I love that man, I respect that man, and and he inflicted so much pain in my life and on the lives of so many of us. I can. Ask me after the service if you want some more stories, but like one of the ones I always like think of just like when I, when I feel in my body what it felt like to be a freshman in that football program with Aaron Hillman is I remember we were doing this thing where we had like had to all line up with a 45 pound plate and we were doing all these like on command curls and all these different things and it was like six in the morning and we had to do it like perfectly in unison with his weaselly voice or else we had to start over. And I just remember like holding the plate above my head at one point and realizing like, like my arms are shaking. I'm, I'm dying. Like this is not going to end well. And I said, well, you know what? What if I just dropped this on my face and just ended this like that? Like it put me out of my misery, felt the relief of that. But then the next thought that came to my mind is, well, what if it doesn't kill me though? 
what if I drop this plate in my face and I like break my nose, but then I'm still able to breathe and do it. And he just tells me to, to pick it back up. Like the, it was, it was the kind of things. And, and maybe you've had different friends that have had just weird, like painful stories like that in the world of athletics. But that's kind of what like the strength coach's job is, is to inflict pain on you. But, but ultimately like supposedly it's in your, your best interest. Um, and, and I remember, I'll never forget, I remember, like, I can still feel, like, the turf under my feet being a, a freshman and showing up to, like, our, our weight room, and there was this big whiteboard that Coach Hillman would call us up to after the warm-up, and on the whiteboard, he actually would just write out for us everything that we were going to be going to be doing that day, like, what the, what the lifts were, and more often than not, you'd look at it and you'd go, no. Like, there's, there's no way we could, we could be deadlifting today when we just deadlifted yesterday, you know, or we squatted yesterday. Like, like, are you, are you crazy? Like, this, like my legs hurt right now. And then the thing that I see written on there, like that is going to kill me. That was the, the feeling that, that you always had. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I remember about coach Hillman. He, uh, the, one of those times he kind of pulled us up the whiteboard and he could probably see it in our eyes that we just like, like the pain that we saw coming, we thought it didn't make any sense. And in his Weasley voice, he was like, man, I love you. Everything that I have written up on that board is perfectly prescribed for your good. You can trust me. Super profound thing for Coach Hillman to say right before he just absolutely lit us up and we were, we were dying. But, but here's, here's the thing. One thing I remember from, from those years is that Coach Hillman was basically saying, like, hey, like, on the other side of this pain, on the other side of this discomfort is actually your good, and you need to trust me in that. Like, you need to follow my lead. I have, I have carefully prescribed for you everything written up here on this board. I've thought through this. You can trust me. It, it's for your good. We have to go through the pain to get to, to what I'm making you into. And for us as Christians, like there isn't actually a whiteboard that God lays out the story of your life and tells you like, this is what you're going to to go through. But what he has actually done is he's given us the Bible. Okay. And he's given us passages like Daniel chapter six that we can find our stories in and see that actually like trusting God. Okay. Faithfulness to God. It will sometimes feel like death, but it always leads to life. Okay, but on the flip side, the temptation, the temptation to run towards safety and comfort and to not listen to God, the temptation is that trusting in the world, it sometimes feels like life, right? It sometimes feels like relief, but in the end, it always leads to death. Okay, this was true of Daniel. It's true of you. Okay, if you don't know that yet, it will be true of you and your story. And so let's jump in and read how this plays out. Okay, Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. So Darius, Darius, if you've been tracking in Daniel, he's like the new guy in charge. Nebuchadnezzar is out. Darius is in. Darius, he decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the whole realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel, he distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit. So the king planned to set him over the whole realm. Okay, so just backing up the setting, right, of the whole book of Daniel, if we've been tracking along, is that God's people, they're exiled into the, the nation of Babylon. They're no longer in the promised land. They're in captivity. 
And in chapter six, the next king in line is kind of just continuing that story. And he wants to be successful in his reign over the kingdom, right? Darius is trying to figure out like, okay, how can I appoint these leaders that will be able to get the job done? And what's really interesting is that Daniel, who we've been seeing in all these other stories, he has, he has like distinguished himself. He has established himself as one of the most trustworthy and competent and skillful people in the whole nation for the job. And, you know, I mean, like, it's not that surprising to see somebody rise to power because of their skill. But what's surprising about Daniel is he actually rose to power without doing a bunch of, like, really shady, sneaky stuff. Like we see in so many stories, whether that be in politics or in business, whatever it might be. Right? Like, there's so many politicians and CEOs that it's like they they got to this position of power. And then, inevitably, there's just tons of skeletons in their closet. But Daniel, what's so unique about him is he hasn't actually risen to power by being cutthroat and, and sneaky. Actually, the, the opposite's true. Okay, he's, he's risen to this position of power because of, it says, like this extraordinary spirit that he had about him. And that's why even at the beginning of this, I said, like, uh, faithfulness to God sometimes feels like death. Because actually one of the other little themes that goes throughout Daniel is that sometimes being faithful to God actually like forms us into the type of people who do actually gain favor in the world, right? Like Daniel, his, his godliness, it was manifesting in himself in a level of wisdom and skill and trustworthiness that actually made him noticeably better for this job than all of his other peers. And I think it's worth just like as a little sidebar asking ourselves, if you think about yourself in your workplace you know, in the sphere of influence that you have, the places that you have an opportunity in this world to lead and to serve, you know, would your boss or would your team say this same type of thing about you? Do they, do they see God's work in your life? And even though they don't quite know like what it is or how to categorize it, they say, oh, that person, like they are the way that they carry themselves, the way that they act, the skill that they have, the integrity that they have, like they're the type of person that for the sake of my own success, I want them on my team. I want them to be in charge. Daniel, you know, he was serving the Lord well by serving well in this role in the world. Like he truly was an exile in Babylon, but somehow he found a way to be a success in Babylon. And, and there's no reason why Christians, even, to, even today, as our culture gets more and more really like post-Christian, that we, we can't aspire to follow a similar path to Daniel's in our culture. As long as we always remember that we're exiles. Okay, as long as we don't forget that. Because, listen, sooner or later, and we're going to see it happen in the next couple of verses, sooner or later... Every exile, every Christian is going to face a, a moment or a season where we will be forced to choose who do we give allegiance to, who do we trust, right? Our God or the many other lowercase g gods of this world in our culture. And what this text presses on today and what I know that you felt is that there's, there's this really hard moment where sometimes to, to choose God, to choose faithfulness to God, it actually feels like looks like death. You know, I'm sure many of you have experienced this, even in just like the, the smaller deaths of, of the loss of reputation, the loss of, of status, promotion, comfort, because of your faith in Jesus, and it came into conflict somehow with the values of the world or the values of a, a person in the world. This is where faithfulness does often lead us. So look what happens to Daniel. Okay, verse 4. 
the administrators and the satraps, therefore, so these are like kind of his, his co-workers, his peers, they, they kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they couldn't find a charge of any corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. And then these men said, okay, so we're never going to find any charge against this Daniel unless, unless, unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Right? So they're jealous of his position, as people are. They're trying to find a reason to knock him down. They, they can't, like Darius is planning to promote him because of his excellent spirit. So they decide to come up with this conspiracy. And they're like, well, they can't get anything with his character. But, but maybe we see that he's really devoted to his God. That's the one thing he's probably not going to back down on. I wonder if we can actually use his relationship with his God against him. Okay, verse 6. So... The administrators and the satraps, they went together to the king and they said to him, may Darius, King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors and governors, we've agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any God or man except you, the king will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty establish the edict and sign the document so that as the law of the Medes and the Persians, it is irrevocable. This is key. It's irrevocable. And it cannot be changed. So King Darius, he, he signed the written edict. Okay, so at this point in the story, right, the trap has been set. You can see it. You see how they're, they're scheming. The king, he actually at this point doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't know the context. He doesn't know what he's up to, but, but he signs it. And, and they've really put Daniel in a bind where he's going to have to choose, right? Which law is he going to obey? The law of his God, the way of his God, or this law of the Medes and the Persians, okay? Faithfulness to God has put him at direct odds with his culture, okay? And judging by the fact that all of us are still here today, none of us have been in this exact situation, right, where we've been thrown to the literal lions, right? Because we're still, we're still here. But I wonder if, if you've lost relationship, lost something because of your choice to follow Jesus. I know so many of our stories, it's, it's like the friend group that we were, we were with before we started to follow Christ and we had to go in a different direction. We had to make that choice. I think one that's actually like, you, you don't immediately connect it to this, but is, is totally in line with this theme is, is the way that we Christians do this really weird thing where we give away our money. <laughs> we, we practice generosity. That feels like death to me. It does, it does, you know, like it, it, it is, it is, and it, and it is, I mean, it is a giving away. It is a losing, like we would all have more money hypothetically if we weren't Christians because we, we give it away every week and every month to our church, to people in need. Right. And that's totally at odds with a culture that says, Hey, actually what you should do is accumulate as much wealth as possible for yourself. There's been several times where like, so my wife and I, we kind of have it on, we, you know, we reset it every year and kind of figure out what's going on, but it's mostly on like auto, auto, uh, deduct or whatever, like through our bank. So there's actually been times where it's like, of course I know that we give, but I kind of like forgot cause I, I wasn't like actively doing it. And then I, you know, you're kind of looking at the budget and like, oh my gosh, we would have be able to get such a better house. <laughs> like there's so many other things if we weren't doing this, you know, and it, and it feels like death, faithfulness to God. It can feel like a, a type of death in our lives. They're full of moments and choices like this, right? That reveal who we really trust and what we really fear 
in this text, it's pressing on us and asking us, okay, for, for the next moment that comes our way, will we be found faithful? Okay, look at, look at how they find Daniel, verse, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in the upstairs room, and, and he opened it toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, and he gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Interesting. Verse 11, then these men went as a group, and they found Daniel, petitioning and imploring his God. So here's what's kind of crazy to me at this point. Daniel, if you notice it in the passage, it says that he actually knew that they had signed it. So he, he caught wind of the plan, and he actually waits until they signed it, and then he goes into his house to pray. And he opens up the windows. Like, he goes out into the open for everyone to see, knowing that they were going to come find him. Imagine for a minute what that must have felt like, what his, his thought process was. You know, as he considered his options, I'm just thinking through this for myself, it's like the path of ease and comfort and safety wouldn't it have actually just been to like, not forsake God, but just keep it a secret? I mean, like it was just a 30 day edict. Just don't be so out in the open with it. Just, just keep a low profile, keep praying, but do it in secret. Keep your position of influence for like the sake of the future, even like work of God in in Babylon. But for some reason, Daniel, he knows what's going on and he actually chooses the path of, of most resistance instead Okay, the path that actually seems to put him in the most danger. And, and the men who devised the plan, it's like obviously they show up and they got to be just high-fiving each other because it's like here he is right out in the open. Our, our trap worked. But the text actually leads us to, sit, to think and to see that he walked right into the trap. Right? Like it's almost like he, he wanted to be found. You know, I don't think it's that, that Daniel was, was unaware of the consequences or that he was unafraid. Because if you notice when he's praying, it says he's making petitions and, and pleas before his God. He's asking God for help. You know, like he didn't wake up in the morning wanting to be eaten by the lions. He, he's praying for God's help. So then why would he run out into the open toward the danger? Well, what if he... What if he didn't? What if, what if Daniel wasn't actually running toward the danger, but he was running towards safety? What if Daniel, as he kind of surveyed the situation, what if he thought the really dangerous thing to do would be to give in to the pressure to hide his faith? You know, what if Daniel, what he's actually doing is he actually, he is running to God, his refuge, actually choosing safety. The safest place he could be is right out in the open with his God, clearly trusting him. I think that Daniel, I think he saw the trap and he actually saw like right through it to the real danger because he knew that that faithfulness to the world, right? Trusting in the way of the world, it actually feels like life at times, but it always leads to death in the end. And I think he was convinced that that faithfulness to God, it sometimes feels like death, it sometimes looks like danger, but it always leads to life. So he goes up into his house, he opens the door to Jerusalem for all to see just like he had always done. He looks towards his true home, he gets on his knees, and he clings to God, his only hope incredible act of faithfulness. Let's see how it works out. Verse 12. 
So they approached the king and they asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any God or man, except you, the king will be thrown into the lion's den. Okay. So, Cause remember they, they caught him. The king answered as a, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and it's irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, you know, Daniel, one of the, the Judean exiles, he's ignored you, the king. And the edict you signed, I just imagine they had really whiny voices, you know, as they're talking. It's just like this, like this little secretive group of, of whiners. For he prays three times a day. 14. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, you know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king, he sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. Okay. There's been some repetitions here that are trying to tell us like that Daniel, you know, he's basically in a, in a hopeless situation like this law, this, this edict, it cannot be changed. And then even the king himself, even though he wants to, he's powerless to do anything to save Daniel. He can't go against it. He even offers up like this kind of a, a prayer to the God that he's been hearing about through Daniel spends his night in, in fasting. You know, and the point of here is this, the law of the Medes and Persians has spoken, Right. And then on the other side, the law of the lions, which you know the law of the lions, right? Every time they eat. <laughs> like it's just, it's, it, you lion's den, human, the law says every time they kill you. It's about to silence Daniel for good. And it's all because he was faithful to this law of the Lord. Right? The stone, it's covered. The entrance, there's no way out. Nothing anyone can do. Daniel is doomed. This is bad as it gets. Faithfulness to God, it, it sometimes feels like death. In your life, in my life, it, it feels like being thrown into a pit of, of lions. Okay, a time in your life where you thought you had done like everything you could to follow the Lord and then you were still betrayed by that person. You were so faithful in your, in your job. You were trying to be godly. You're trying to have integrity in your workplace, but then you still like didn't get pushed forward or you maybe even lost your, your job. You can kind of trace the dots back to like, to your, your faithfulness. You prayed your heart out like Daniel, you're on your knees praying your heart out and the, and the depression and the dread and the pain just didn't go away. It just got darker. You tried to do the right thing. You, you sought wise counsel. You prayed. You searched the scriptures trying to figure out how do you navigate yourself through this maze of conflict that you were in. But every turn, uh, corner that you turned around felt like you were going deeper into the pit. Right? You followed the Lord with your whole heart. And, and seriously, it's like he led you to the lion's den. You were faithful to him, but it felt like death. And so if you've experienced this before, and if you haven't, you will, you're, you're in good company with literally the millions of Christians that have lived before you. 
Because sometimes faithfulness to God, it feels like death. Look at verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king, he got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Have you ever cried out in a prayer like this where you're, at, you're like a prayer that is so full of faith that nothing was really going to happen from it? Like, you're just, like, fully trusting in this prayer that, like, they're, like the, I will be answered with nothing on the other end of this. But you have this, like, small part of you that you're just, like, hoping that you're wrong. Daniel was faithful to God, and it led him into this pit of death, this place of anguish. Darius, he stands there. He's crying out in agony. He knows this is a hopeless and impossible situation. Like there's no way humanly possible that Daniel could actually be okay, but he's holding out hope in this prayer. You can hear it kind of just trembling in his voice. He's probably expecting though nothing but silence. And so you can imagine what it must have been like for like the cold drop of sweat and like the hairs to stand up on the back of his neck when he heard verse 21, Daniel speak back to him. May the king live forever. <laughs> My God sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouth and they haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. It says the king was overjoyed. And he gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, this is one of my favorite lines from the whole story, he was found to be unharmed, for he had trusted in his God. Okay, Riv, faithfulness to God, it, it sometimes feels like death, but it actually always leads to life in the end. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel, he's, he's safe and sound. And get this, he chose the safety of faithfulness to God in the lion's den over the illusion of safety offered to him by the world. Okay, and in the ultimate reversal of fortunes, look what happens to the people that had plotted against him. Verse 24, then the king gave the command and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, they were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, their wives, they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. This is the law of the lions. Trusting in the world sometimes feels like life, but it always leads to death at some point. Right? They thought they had a great plan, but you can't pick a fight with God and win in the end. The New Testament says like the wages of sin, the thing that you ultimately always are going to get at some point is, is death. Right? And it turns out that these men who set a trap for Daniel had actually set a trap for themselves. Right? That very same law, that edict, it was just now turned around on them. Right? They had failed to account for the fact that they were messing with the living God that actually exists. That's one of the themes of the whole book of Daniel that I hope you've been seeing is that what God is doing here, just all in all these different parts of these stories, he's showing that he's really the one, right, who's in charge of history and over the story of every human life. And so just like he did through Nebuchadnezzar in an earlier chapter, now through Darius, he's going to make a, a little preacher out of Darius here for these last few verses. Look what he says in verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, 
and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Okay, Daniel, he was in a total bind earlier in the story, right? No way out, pinned with his back against the wall, the law of the land, the law of the lions. But Daniel, he knew he was actually bound to a greater law than either of these, right? The law that was greater than the Medes and the Persians and the law of nature, the law of God, okay? He was bound to the law of God, the law that says that God is actually sovereign over all of history and he will not be robbed of his glory, And it's so fascinating what God's doing here with Darius and with these words, he's actually, he's using Darius for for everybody and for us to to get a glimpse of where the whole world is ultimately heading. Look back at it. He says, all peoples, nations, and languages, they they will bow one day before the living God. And that's where it's going to be a wild ride these next five weeks. I won't be here, obviously, but chapter seven through 12 of Daniel, he's going to just kind of expand on that. And Daniel's going to get these visions of where the world is really heading this certain future, these apocalyptic visions. But before we get there, there's just one more verse in chapter 6, verse 28. Look how Daniel's story ends. Verse 28, so Daniel, he, he prospered because during the reign of Darius, or during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian, and as we know now as you've been tracking through this book, because this is all really under the reign of the real king. Faithfulness to God sometimes feels like death, but it always leads to life. Okay, the story of Daniel is not the story of this warrior who fought his way out of an impossible situation where where death was, was at his door and he kind of found a way out, but actually just this dependent man who trusted his whole life to his powerful God. Okay, and we're meant to realize as we read this story that everything remarkable about Daniel and everything potentially remarkable about you and I has really nothing to do with us, right? Like Daniel, he was so faithful to the Lord because he saw something in the Lord. He saw that the Lord was faithful to him, right? He held on to God right out there in the open as his place of true safety because he believed in his bones that God was holding on to him even unto death. Okay, and, and, and that's the, the point of, of the story, really. That's why it was recorded in this way for God's people. It was to give hope to these exiles that, that no matter what it actually looks like and feels like in front of them, that God has not and will not give up on them, right? So that even when it, when it feels like death, faithfulness to God, it's always going to, to lead to life in the end. So remain faithful, like, like tighten your grip, hold on to him. That's what Daniel 6 is proclaiming to us this morning, that, that you— No matter what it is that you're actually going through right now, no matter what it is that you're afraid of, whatever you see coming down the pipe, whatever you're feeling, hold on to the one who's holding on to you. Hold on to him. Hold on to your God, even if what he's taking you through feels like death. It's the safest place you can be in the whole world is wherever you are with him. But here's a really important question that I just kind of kept asking as I was reading this story is, is what about all the other people in the Bible who trusted God deeply like this were put in an impossible situation and then actually God didn't rescue them? Okay, like what about John the Baptist? You know, he's like, Jesus says, like, he, like, there's never been a greater man than John. He stands up to the emperor, won't give in to, to her demands. He defies him, then he gets his head chopped off in prison. 
what about how Daniel just dies at a later date? <laughs> what about us? I'm sure that, that many of you could tell a story of like about a time where you, you truly trusted deeply in God. You, you know people, you are people, you held on to God, but you did not experience a deliverance like this from your suffering. Like, how is it that I could tell you that faithfulness to God always leads to life when every human life actually always certainly ends in death? Okay, how could I say that? Well, I'm getting it from... From verse 26, this is where the answer is found. It says, the God of Daniel, he's, he's the living God. The God who endures forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. This story is one of the many stories in the Bible that's showing God's power over even death. Okay, this is the living God who, who delivers and rescues his kingdom, his reign, and therefore the people that are under his reign will never be destroyed. Death is no match for him. That's what this passage is, is screaming to us. And because of that, death is no longer the end for anyone who trusts in the living God. It's actually this type of new beginning. It's actually this path to, to resurrection life. What we need to understand this morning is that Daniel, his encounter in the lion's den, it was both an actual, miraculous, historical event, and for Daniel and for us, this little illustration that God was doing of saying like, hey, one day, this is what I will certainly do for you when you face death. Okay, in other words, he was giving Daniel like a sneak preview of, seriously, his real future. When he faced death. And he's doing the same thing throughout, for us through this text. Okay, the lion's den, it's one of many of these, but it's, it's this glaring outlier on the pages of history that there is in this universe a living God who can deliver us from our encounter with death. So that, that like Daniel, we will one day be, be taken up out of the den. Okay, and no kind of harm will be found on us who have trusted in our God. How is that possible? Well, okay, centuries later, there was this other faithful Israelite, okay? And like Daniel, he would grow up as an exile. He would, he would devote his life to prayer and serving God continually. He became a threat to those who were in power, causing them to devise a way to try to get rid of him. Just like Daniel, this man, he would be blameless. No one could find any ground or complaint or fault in him. But just like Daniel, because he chose to be faithful to his God, he would be sentenced to execution. And just like Daniel, he basically lay down. Choose not to defend himself from his death sentence. Actually, it's like he, he just kind of walked right into it. Because just like Daniel, he knew that trusting God always leads to life in the end. Okay, but unlike Daniel, God did not deliver this man from his execution. This man would actually die, and after being pronounced dead on this cross, they, would, they threw him down into his own type of pit. There wouldn't even need to be lions in there because he was already dead. They did seal it with a big stone, though, just to make sure. And he would lay in that cave for three days, truly dead, until some of his followers, not expecting anything miraculous, came and saw that the, sto the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. 
And in their shock, they would be met by an angel who told them, hey, don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen. In John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus said this about himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm, I'm the living God. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. And this is crazy. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What Jesus is saying is that all of us are really going to die one day. We, like, we really are going to be thrown into the pit of the lion's den. There is no avoiding it. But all of us who trust in Jesus will definitely be safe from harm. Right? When we come to our own encounter with death, we will find that the mouth of the lion has been shut. Though we die, yet we shall live. Why? Because Christ already died. And in him, we have already died, right? He died in our place. He was already ripped apart by the lion of death because of our sin, right? The devil, he thought he had set a trap for Jesus. He thought that it had worked, but Colossians 2, beautiful passage, actually says that the devil got trapped in his own trap, right? Like the cross of Christ, it, it disarmed the devil, that text says. It actually took away his power to prosecute us because of our sin, because now we are just forgiven. Jesus paid it all. Right? The resurrection of Christ, he defeated death. He, he defanged the lion of death. Death, where is your sting? Death couldn't hold him, and it can't hold us. And so if we believe in him, if we're, if we're united to him, that's what faith in Jesus means. Like when we, when we hold on to Jesus, when we're faithful, listen to this, this is so key. What's true of him becomes true of us. Again, not because of us, not because of anything remarkable to us, but because of him, and we're, and we're holding on to him. What's true of him, conquering death, becomes true of us. He's the living God who endures forever. Faithfulness to Jesus, Riv, it will sometimes feel like death. Because that's actually how he brings us into resurrection life. Daniel, he was in exile in his culture, and so are we. He trusted that God would be faithful to him in his encounter with death. And working backwards from that trust, it actually changed everything about his life. Changed everything about the way that he lived. He was able to face like the smaller deaths in his story with confidence, with gratitude, with, with incredible poise because he knew God was holding on to him. And the same is true for all of us who trust in Jesus. No matter what it, what it looks like or feels like right now, you will never be safer than when you're on your knees, literally or figuratively, out in the open, trusting in Jesus. For he is the living God. He's the one who's really in charge. Enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel and will surely save all of us from the power of the lions. Listen, Jesus, he has already shut the mouth. He has shut the mouth of sin, Satan, death, and hell for you. You can face whatever smaller deaths come your way that faithfulness requires. It's your path to resurrection life. So hold on to him. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we, we just 
as we navigate this life, we just need to remember again how, how good you are, how strong you are, how committed you are to your purposes for us. God, we are so weak. We, we bring so little to the table, yet we are responsible for our own life to kind of figure out what to do and how to make decisions and how to go this way or that way. Like, we, there, there's a real, there are real challenges and choices in front of us right now. There's real pain. There's real darkness. There's things that, that look and feel like death. But Jesus, we, we hold on to you in all of that right now. And Jesus, we hold on to you because we know you're holding on to us. Jesus, we hold on to you because where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the eternal one who's, Jesus, you're bringing us with you. Oh God, we believe that you've never left our side. We hold on to you, Jesus. Help us to remain faithful, God, for our own good and for your glory. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.